when did you notice that trauma was affecting you? I'd love to dive into your story. Yeah, that's a great question. When did I begin to know that I had stored trauma? Because I was one of those, Evan, that I was like, trauma? No, like, I don't, I don't, I don't have trauma. And especially when I became a foster parent and knowing the histories of these kids, and then I did adopt Miguel and, and knowing his history compared to my childhood, like that even cemented it even more in my mind of like, that is trauma. Like Miguel experienced childhood trauma. My childhood compared to that was a piece of cake. Now, what I've learned since then is that actually I've had to come to a different definition of trauma. And then that was what helped me understand like, oh, like this is why I'm seeing all of these physical health symptoms in my body. And I refer to it as the body speaking trauma. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. We are on episode number 284 today, coming up on the big 300. I have uh, zero idea of what exciting thing to do for that. So we're just putting on badass guests up until then um, to have great topics, great conversations to celebrate 300 episodes. And today will absolutely be no exception to this. So you guys might have seen our guest today, Dr. Amy, on our Health Space Unmasked event. If you do not know what that is, it is a big, cool community event that we kind of do uh, the first Saturday of every month. And uh, we had to skip October just due to a last second cancellation, but everything else we've been doing that for a couple of years now and they're all planned out. It's all scheduled out. So it's kind of a big thing. So if you ever want to get registered for that, uh, just go to fdntraining.com slash unmasked. That's fdntraining.com slash unmasked. We will jump right into it today. I will read our guest's impressive bio, and then we're going to be talking about trauma today. So Dr. Amy is a double board certified physician, boarded in both preventative and addiction medicine with double master's degrees in biochemistry and public health. She graduated from Loma Linda University in 2010 with her medical degree, where she then went on to 3.5 years of general surgery residency. Having been a foster mom and then adoptive mom, she had personal experience with trauma in her home and then nonprofit working with other adoptive families and their children until trauma became her own personal story with her body giving in during her surgery residency training. Through all of these life experiences, she has discovered that light, um, discovered that addressing stored trauma, ah, oh, man. <clears throat> Through all of these life experiences, she has discovered that life experiences become one's biology and that trauma is more than our uh, psychology. It requires a specific process and a holistic, integrative approach for addressing stored trauma in the body. She left her thriving conventional addiction medicine practice, is a certified functional medicine physician, and has numerous trainings and certifications in functional medicine, mental health, addiction, and trauma therapy modalities. Uh, for those of you that 
aren't listening regularly, I got to give myself some grace here. I, I have this thing, Dr. Amy, where I think I'm like better at this than I am. And I read it out loud for the first time live. And it um, it works about one out of 10 of the time. So welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. <laughs> Thank you, Evan. It's good to see you again. It's good to be here. Yeah, we actually, yes, we got to do that Health Space Unmasked live together. Usually Reed Davis, founder of FDN, um, does the intro, but he was out of town that day. And so um, I got the privilege of getting to introduce you. And what's really cool is sometimes when you get the the doctors in the functional health space, a lot of them got into this solely because, you know, through many of their own words, they saw the light, uh, not necessarily because they have a personal experience. And one of my favorite things about the show is mixing in the personal experiences with the expertise of the individual, because that's kind of how it starts. It starts with this thing that, you know, triggers us, and then it creates this passion that just Man, it doesn't die. I've been in this for like nine, 10 years at this point. I'm more lit up about it than ever before. Uh, that's, a, that's a blessing. So I would love to begin. I usually ask the question, uh, when did your health symptoms start and what did they look like? And, and perhaps that's appropriate even in this case. So when did these things start for you? When did you notice that trauma was affecting you? I'd love to dive into your story. Yeah, that's a great question. When did I begin to know that I had stored trauma? Because I was one of those, Evan, that I was like, trauma? No, like I don't, I don't. I don't have trauma. And especially when I became a foster parent and knowing the histories of these kids. And then I did adopt Miguel and, and knowing his history compared to my childhood, like that even cemented it even more in my mind of like, that is trauma. Like Miguel experienced childhood trauma. My childhood compared to that was a piece of cake. Now, what I've learned since then is that actually I've had to come to a different definition of trauma. And then that was what helped me understand like, oh, like this is why I'm seeing all of these physical health symptoms in my body. And I refer to it as the body speaking trauma. Hmm. And it's like, you know, we speak English, other people speak Chinese. Well, the body can speak trauma hmm. and we've got to learn the language. We, ha we have to be able to actually understand Oh, that word, that symptom, that sensation, that condition diagnosis means trauma. Got it. And so when did I first discover that? Well, I would have to say that it was along, along the way with working with Miguel, because what happened is that I, Miguel came into my life when he was four and I was actually already in third year medical school rotations, internal medicine rotations specifically, when I got the call from the social worker, Rosa, that we have, we have a placement for you. And this had, I mean, it had been months, months prior to that, that when I had actually signed up to be a foster parent. And, and so that she was telling me his story, his past, he had been in the foster care system since he was nine months old. But the reason why he was in the foster care system is that things had been happening since he was born. And as we look at really what would have been happening, even while he was in utero, like his trauma happened from the very beginning of his life. Conception. Okay. Conception. Yes. Yeah. And really, if you want to look back like generational trauma too, right? Hey, well said. Yeah. <laughs> we've got, we've got that factor in. And so I knew that as I was diving in to try to help Miguel, I needed to understand attachment. I'm in medical school. Like, you know, like I know, I know the physiology, I know biology, but this attachment stuff. All right. Maybe I don't understand enough of it because obviously what I'm doing is not really helping him. And 
help me understand what's going on in this boy's mind that he would be this, this, I want to say fearful, um, but his fear would come out in rage and aggression. And starting at the age of five, Evan, he was already telling me that he wanted to kill me and trying to do it. And to think of that, a five-year-old, a five-year-old boy, and he wouldn't be telling me this in the middle of a rage. Mm -hmm. He would be telling me this in the middle, right after we had had a very bonding moment. I'll give you one story as an example. There was a time when he was still a foster child and he had been with me for about two months. So this was December of 2008. And I'm coming home from my day in the hospital. And he had, one of the reasons why they had placed him with me was because he had a lisp. He spoke, uh, it was almost like baby talk, Evan. Okay. And, and yet he's, he's old enough that he shouldn't be talking like that anymore. And they had put him with speech therapists and nothing had changed. So, so they felt convinced that putting him with, you know, a doctor, a medical student would somehow help resolve this speech lisp that he had. Yeah, you'll cure uh, it. You figure it out. <laughs> exactly. We heal everything. Yeah. <laughs> and that day, as I came home, I opened up the garage door to drive in. And my friend, Tina, who was there at the house with him, they were cooking dinner. And in the clearest of voice, he turns to her and says, mommy is home. He had just started calling me mommy, had just started calling me mommy. And so this was a big moment for him to not only call me mommy, but then also to speak yeah. with such clarity. And so over dinner, Tina shares this with me and she turns to Miguel and she's like, Miguel, like, tell mommy what happened. He won't say a word. And so she says what he did, like he spoke clearly. And I turn to look at him and he's seated on my right side. So I'm at the head of the table. He's on the, the side. So he's about two feet from me. And I turn towards him to, you know, cause I'm, I'm happy. Like I'm, I'm wanting to express like, great job. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> right? And so I turn to him and he and I have this moment of eye contact and coming out of my eyes, of course, is all of this love and celebration. And that was enough for him to, in a second, by the time that I've already told you this, he would have already done it. He mm -hmm. picked up his plate and threw it straight at my head, picked up his silverware, fork and knife, and threw that at my head from two feet away. Wow. So he was showing severe attachment issues. And I knew that what I knew and the tools that I had were not going to be enough to help that degree of attachment issues where I could not even have a moment of mutual celebration and eye contact without him losing his shit. Because yeah. that was not safe for him. And I thought, I thought, I, I mean, I, mean, I want to say that I believed because I didn't even question this. I just knew that what he needed was love <laughs> and that love would be enough for him, right? Like love, give it time, stability. This kid is going to be great. He's going to rise above all of his childhood issues. And so when I saw that 
what I thought was what he needed, love, that was actually his biggest fear was to receive love. This blew my mind. Like this, this broke every concept of children that I thought that I knew. And that's why I knew that I needed to dive into it. But when I started diving into attachment, I started seeing myself as well. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think I'm afraid to be loved and seen too sometimes. <laughs> oh, I think I hide away my heart from people. Oh, I think, I think that I do some of this too. Not to that degree. I'm not throwing plates at people's heads. Mm -hmm. That's good. <laughs> right. That, that's a start for social, yep. for social practice. But, but I, I started to see that I also had attachment issues, if you want to call them that. Mm -hmm. But I really didn't have time to deal with it because I've got this five-year-old on my hands that wants to kill me every day. So my issues were on the back burner, right? Like, okay, one day I'll have the time. One day I'll come back to that. I knew that they were there, but I had other priorities at the moment. And so it really wasn't until my body crashed and it said, we can't do any more and we're not even going to get out of bed anymore, then that was when I was forced to now deal with all of these issues that I had just been putting on the back burner because I didn't think that I had time to deal with them. Yeah. When yeah. when we're talking about uh, attachment and stuff like that, I mean, I'm not an expert in this by any means, but I, I did read a book called Attached and it talked about attachment style theory. Is this, I'm guessing this is in with the same ballpark, right? There's like the avoidant, the anxious. Is that the same thing? Or are you referring to something different? No, I'm referring to the same thing. Okay. And I'm going to tell you that it's kind of like the adverse childhood experiences study where Dr. Folletti back in 1980s, he started looking at this, um, this phenomenon that he was seeing in his clinic where the most successful women losing weight were the ones that were dropping out and gaining all the way back. Hmm. And that's how he discovered that most of them had sexual trauma as a child and uncovered everything that is now the adverse childhood experiences studies and score and all of that but yet evan like that is actually just the beginning right because we have people who have those same physical health conditions but who don't have a high ace score and so just like that where the aces were a place to start but now we've got to redefine what actually is trauma in childhood to be able to better predict adult onset physical health conditions, attachment, the basic attachment, avoidant, anxious, like that's just a place to start, Evan. Okay. It's, right. it's so much deeper than that. And yeah. it really comes down to, did you leave your childhood with your autonomic nervous system? So vagus nerve, sympathetic nerve chain, your autonomic nervous system regulated or not regulated. And that decides your attachment hmm. and especially attachment in relationships, because that's where it will really come out. And, and we see behaviors, but behaviors are just the surface level. It actually is a physiology. It actually is a biology of attachment. And that's what then drives our health conditions because it's starting in childhood. We don't know that they're causing health problems until decades later when it finally breaks the surface, but there are things that are changing in our physiology from the very beginning with this attachment. And that's why it's so hard to change 
because this is embedded in our very nervous system. This is, this has become our autonomic nervous system. Okay. Yeah. This is what's cool about getting to talk to an MD about this. Not that there's anything wrong with the book Attached. It's a very profound book. It's useful. I learned a lot from it. Um, but there's a difference between the social sciences, any psychologist would acknowledge that, versus some of the stuff that we're talking about here. So uh, it is really cool to have someone that you know, I could be wrong, but probably has felt more left brain your entire life. And, you know, you were probably even challenged to explore this other side, but you're mixing them together too. And I think that's what we really need with this because I, full transparency, I was always very reluctant, um, kind of like it sounds you were to look into this. It just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, all right, labs make sense. Supplement ingredients and interactions make sense. Uh, the biochemistry makes sense, but and there is science behind this, but it wasn't it wasn't as clear, it wasn't as intuitive as intuitive. And certainly, um, why would I want to look into this? Right, this is a lot more uncomfortable to recognize than to say, "Hey, I have a gluten sensitivity, dude." No one wants to be that gluten person, but it's a lot easier to say that than acknowledge, "Well, hey, all this stuff happened, and now you know the autonomic nervous system is completely out of whack." So let's let's talk about that because I'm, I'm fascinated how you know a kid, like you said, so young is making these statements, making these threats, um, and actually taking actions for it. So that's like almost unconscious at a certain point. Like no one would place a five-year-old responsible for these things. So there really is something a lot deeper going on. So uh, can we dive more into that autonomic nervous system regulation? Like what was happening to his body then that was leading to these things uh, occurring? Yeah. And when you say that, it makes me think of a quote from Carl Jung, and I'm going to mess up the quote. So <laughs> don't hold me to this. Okay. <laughs> uh, this will be like you're one out of a 10 getting the introduction correct. Right. <laughs> Give me some grace here. But the essence of the quote is that whatever is unconscious for us becomes our future, but we will call it destiny. Okay. Yep. And so it's this idea that, no, it's all there. Like the science is there. We can bring this stuff to our conscious understanding. And then when once we understand what's happening, we realize that, no, this isn't just the way things are. This isn't just who I am. This isn't just my personality. There are things that happened that actually shaped my physiology and my biology. And that's why this is so unconscious for me. Because this is my autonomic nervous system. This yeah. is my autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system refers to, there are three states of our autonomic nervous system. And I'd love to teach this to your audience because most people still do not know this. This is not what I'm taught in medical school, in fact, still, still. Uh, so we, we've got a long ways to go. But there are three states of our autonomic nervous system. And each state is like an operating system for our whole body. So if you think of a car, you have different operating states, right? Like you can be in reverse, you can be in go, you can be in stop. Those are different operating systems. The autonomic nervous system is like the master control panel for your house, right? Like it, it determines the, the overall setting for are things working or are things not working, and we have two survival systems in the autonomic nervous system. And most people don't understand that. So most people think that we have a parasympathetic run by our vagus nerve. Most of your people have probably heard that. Your people are always well-educated, so I love that. And then we are taught that there's the fight, flight, or freeze. And there's actually a third state. And so that parasympathetic state, yes, is driven by our vagus nerve. And so when our 
ventral vagus. I'm going to throw in that word now, ventral vagus, meaning um, the, the vagus nerve is like a train track, right? It's just a track. It's just a nerve. And it depends on what, what communication is, is traveling down that track. So it's like a train track where it depends on where the train left, like which station did it leave? Is it the green train? Is it the red train? It still goes down the same track, but it's a different message depending on what station the train left from. And so ventral vagal would be like the green train and it promotes health and it promotes digestion and it promotes this, uh, I want to say connectedness where we are grounded, we are connected with ourselves, we are connected with other people. This is the green ventral vagus train. Mm -hmm. When we have a startle, when we have any type of threat, and this is a real threat or just one that we make up in our brain, then that autonomic nervous system, ugh, the, the green train stops in its tracks and it switches to a completely different train track, which is the sympathetic nerve chain. And that sympathetic nerve chain runs down our spine. Like it really is a completely different nerve. We have the vagus nerve and we have the sympathetic chain, completely different nerves. And the message coming down the sympathetic system, of course, is like, go, 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 fight, fight, fight. It is communicating high energy. So this would be like the firefighter who that bell rings and he moves into action like you've never seen before, right? And he's able to do superhuman things that he's never able to do before in the gym because the sympathetic nerve, nervous system is fueling that energy through adrenaline and through cortisol. And so cortisol is actually our, our natural stress response too, which is helpful because every day we actually are supposed to have some stress every single day. That is healthy to have stress every day. But then what happens if that firefighter arrives to the house and everything's already burned down and the people that he was supposed to save are not able to be saved anymore? Immediately, he's going to feel that deflation of his energy, right? He's going to go into the, the shame, perhaps, the disappointment, the what we what we call, what I call, the collapse. And the difference between those two is dramatic, right? High energy. And then it almost feels like an immediate, like someone just pulled the plug out because that's how fast my energy went away. And when we're in those moments, we remember, we remember that shift. And maybe for some people, it's a phone call, right? A phone call that they receive that is bad news. And they still remember that moment mm -hmm. holding the phone and feeling all of their energy leave them. Our energy does not leave us that fast. I mean, seriously, like ATP gets produced and, and used up that fast. No, like something else is happening here. Our mitochondria are not changing that fast. So that change is actually switching to the third state of our nervous system. It goes back to the vagus nerve, but this time it's a different train that's leaving the station. It is not the green train of the ventral vagus. We'll call it the black train. Mm -hmm. And the black train communicates to the, everything where the vagus nerve goes, the digestive system, the heart, the lungs, the diaphragm, all of our mitochondria. It communicates shutdown. Just we're shutting down. I want you to do the bare minimum to just 
exist to just survive, stay alive, stay alive. Don't get me wrong. Stay alive, but we're going to do the bare minimum to stay alive. And that's why there's such an immediate shift in our energy level. And that right there, that shift from the sympathetic to this black uh, vagus nerve train, which we're going to call the dorsal train, that is the trauma response of the body. Now, all of this, Evan, all of this is an unconscious operating system that happens in our body. There is no way that you can think about, mm, we're not going to have that black train leave the station right now. Like the black train is going to leave the station, whether you want it to or not. Sure. And when I think of the, the car and the different operating systems of the car, I drive a stick shift. Uh, it's, it's one of the one of my, one of my must haves, if I'm going to drive a car, otherwise put me in a truck, but if you're going to put me in a car, it better be a stick shift. And so I've got different gears. And in my car, I even have the little button that says sport mode. And so if I'm in it, whatever gear I'm in first gear, fifth gear, sport mode, what happens if I throw on that emergency brake? The emergency brake is stronger than the gas pedal. And that's what happens with this third state of our autonomic nervous system. You have no logic and conscious control of that. Mm -hmm. And that is why it can be so frustrating for people because they can be in a situation, maybe even in the middle of a social situation or with a romantic partner, and they feel that trigger that they're so familiar with and they know what happens next. Like they, they know that they, they just get ugh, that deflation, that collapse, that low energy, and they just want to push everything away. Now they just, they want to stop talking. They want to go to bed and pull the covers over their head. They know that's coming and they try to stop it and they can't because this is the unconscious survival system of our body. Wow. So because of that, that is what drives our physical health. So truly, if you think of the autonomic nervous system being the control panel for our body, it's going to either be driving us towards a state of health or it's going to be driving us toward a state of disease and metabolic chaos. Mm -hmm. there, there, those are the only two options, either health or chaos. Yeah. And when someone has stored trauma, when someone has had attachment trauma, their autonomic nervous system, this is so sad, but the, the reality, their autonomic nervous system is wired to compromise their physical health for survival. It does not know how to achieve both, to have good physical health and to survive life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't know that. It only knows one way of living, which is to compromise our physical health in order to survive life. And this is where so many people that you guys see, this is where they're at. Like they are getting so many symptoms and we're trying to find the root cause. And one of those root causes is going to be, you know what? Your autonomic nervous system is set in survival mode. Sure. And there's only one path down that survival track. And that is always going to be to develop more and more symptoms over time. We've got to get your autonomic nervous system out of that and into the different operating system that's one for actually health. And let's head towards that direction. 
And then like you guys, right? Like you're working with all the labs. When you combine those two and have addressing the labs and you have addressing the autonomic nervous system, I call it that magic happens. Like it just, it all comes together and things flow. If you are missing one of those pieces, you, you get stuck. Like it just feels like pulling through mud to try to get progress on, on someone's physical health. I have, well, first of all, I, I loved those analogies and the examples. Um, is it, you I know, those just for you, Evan. Just thank you so much. I, <laughs> only on the health detective podcast, make sure to subscribe. Right. Um, but the example specifically about, because I think we can all envision this getting the call, right. And you just feel the energy drop and you know, it's heavy stuff for a Friday, but you know, someone passing away or, Hey, this relationship isn't working. And and you're right. You would have to have mastered stoicism or deep meditation over 40 years of your life to not react to that. It is truly, no matter how logical you are, an instant reaction where you're right. You can feel, I've never heard it said like that, where obviously the energy isn't literally just leaving your body. The ATP isn't just stopping or that's just such a good point, but it feels like that. It feels like, whoa, in one statement, the world just collapsed. Uh, My inner world collapsed. Um, Really fascinating stuff. So then with people who are experiencing this, how do we help them recognize it and how do we help them regulate? Because you are on the mark here. What we see at FDN, and this is an almost universal thing, if someone's been chronically ill for a while and we start doing the labs, supplements, diet, whatever, there are cases where I have seen people, I mean, they literally turn around 100% in three months. That is a minority. What normally happens is they get 60 to 70% better. And that's fantastic. We're so glad that that happened. I say this publicly all the time. It's not like we're acting like we have a perfect system. And then the other things come in. And I had to acknowledge this for myself. And again, not that I'm in any way, shape or form an expert on trauma. I might still have plenty of things to work on in this regard. But I did need to start becoming more open-minded to it because what happened for me is I was in my early 20s at the time doing everything right. All my friends are drinking, getting hammered, staying up late, going to work the next day. I'm eating organic. I'm doing the supplements. I'm going to bed. And I I did feel better than I felt before. But how the hell could I still have this lingering 20, 30% when I am living dang near perfectly compared to these other people? And I didn't know what that was in the beginning, right? I thought it was just another test, another supplement, another whatever. And when you exhaust those options, then eventually you have to start wondering, I wonder what's going on. I mean, I would point to my mind, but obviously it's a lot deeper and bigger than that. What's going on in here that's leading to this? So, uh, sorry, back to the original question of how do we even get people to recognize this? Because it took me forever. And then what the heck do we do about it once we do uh, recognize it? You know, what I learned to do as a physician working with patients was I literally walked them through what I just walked you through. Let, Let me teach you. Let me show you something about your body. And let's discover together what may be the driving force for some of these symptoms that we're seeing. And then we're looking at the problem together and I'm, I'm literally drawing out on a piece of paper, you have three states of your nervous system. And I'm showing them that all their symptoms are down in that category of the shutdown and collapse response. Like all of your symptoms are there. Autoimmunity is there. Addictions are there. Weight problems are there. Digestive problems, sleep problems skin problems, like all, all of the problems are actually trauma related. We have been taught mistakenly that all of these symptoms and conditions and diagnoses are stress related. That's not true, Evan. It's not true. These are trauma related. We just haven't known the difference between stress and trauma. 
And so when I can come in and I can just provide the education and show them, show them like this is where your symptoms are in this category of a trauma driven symptom that opens the door for them to be aware and more on board with saying, all right, what do I need to do? And then we need to figure out what to do. And thankfully we have the science that informs us of what to do. And the polyvagal theory, which is what gave us these three different states of the nervous system, informs us a lot about where we need to start. And I think that for FDNs, they have the tools and they could do this within their scope of practice and be safe to do this. But where we have to start, if someone has stored trauma in the body, so they've had these experiences of shutdown and collapse that have not been resolved. They don't have closure for certain things in their life. That's the key word, closure, resolved. If that has not been resolved, that is still lingering and stored in their body and will be driving symptoms. And where we have to start is providing a felt sense of safety for the body for that to even open up. Because just like Miguel, there was no way he was going to open up his heart to me without feeling that it was safe to do so first. And I thought I could just come in, give him love, and we'd be good. And he's like, no, love is what is scary. You have to make the love safe for me first. Got it. I'll, I'll, I'll do that now. I'll, <laughs> I'll make up for what I did wrong at the beginning. Yeah. And so we have to actually provide a felt sense of safety for the body. And here, Evan, is where you and I and FDNs, we get tripped up on that because we are so much in our brains. We love to study. We love the biochemistry. We love the labs. We love things objective that we're like, the body needs to feel safe. Well, of course my body feels safe. And yet if we ask your body, your body's like, um, no, I don't. That's just your idea of what's going on. I'll give you the real story. And so our mind has a very different story of what has happened in our life than what our body has. And our body actually has a memory of its own. It's called implicit memory. The memories that get stored in our brain and our hippocampus are called explicit memories. But the body has memories. And so when we start this work, I call it somatic work, where we're working with the actual tissues. That's what somatic refers to in the Latin derivative. When we start working with the body, it will give us this information of, I've never felt safe in my entire life. And we're like, what? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? I thought that you've been safe. We've been safe. What's the problem? And the body's like, no, exactly. You have thought that I have been safe. I, I have not felt safe. And most of the people coming to us will be in the same place. They will never have truly felt safe in their body. And in fact, the more metabolic chaos they have, the more they have not wanted to be in their body. They hate their body. Their body has betrayed them. Like their body is what holds them back. They hate their body. And so that's, <laughs> that is actually where we have to start before we process any trauma. We have to lay down what I call a foundation of regulation. And that starts with providing a felt sense of safety for the body. I do that with some very simple, basic somatic exercises that within two minutes, you can just do them with someone. So you could do this with your client, even over Zoom. I do this with over Zoom with, with all of my people. 
And it's two minutes of, ah, okay, my body actually feels safe now. And then they get to learn what it even means to feel safe. So that then when they're by themselves and they don't have you, Evan, they can be like, oh, what was that exercise that Evan did with me? Oh, that's right. The stomach support. Oh, what was that? The push away, the VU. Got it. Let me go do that. And now they're able to provide for themselves a felt sense of safety every day throughout their day and not just when they see you or just when they see their therapist, because that's not going to be enough. Eventually, we've got to tap into neuroplasticity. We don't start with neuroplasticity, but eventually we tap into neuroplasticity, but we can only rewire and achieve that neuroplasticity when we do this and create this safety for enough time. The, the game of neuroplasticity is time. And if you spend most of your time not feeling safe in your body, guess how you're wired? Ah, you're wired for a biology of fear, which is a biology of trauma. But the more moments in your day that you can start to come in and say, I'm going to create a felt sense of safety for myself right now, and you are consistent about that, guess what? You're going to start wiring in through neuroplasticity over time, biology of safety. Okay. And that will help the body come out of the metabolic chaos along with the supplements and the lifestyle factors that you guys are working with them on. And that's why when you do the two together, magic happens because you're able to shift their, their autonomic nervous system from an operating system of fear that will create inflammation to a biology of safety that will help clear out inflammation. Can you correct me if I'm wrong here? So when you, because you had said before, you're doing this stuff before processing the trauma and I'm assuming by processing the trauma, you mean at least to some degree, okay, let's verbally work through what the heck happened, what occurred. And that's like the antithesis of what happens in a lot of places. And I'm not condemning anyone, but this is what you see online in this coaching space. It's like, all right, come to me. And then you start talking about the abuse or the divorce or, or whatever it is. And there's many people that avoid that, not because they actually haven't tried, but because they did it and it didn't work. It just made them feel worse. And so you're almost saying, get to this safe place first. It has nothing to do with, let's talk about what the heck happened to you, because that makes it more effective when you process it. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. And, and Evan, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm, um, inspired to ask you if you'll do an experiment with me live. I'm in. Go. <laughs> okay. Are you, and you're sure. There, there is, I'm a unfortunately very open book. Yeah. I'm, I'm shameless. So okay. let's go. I, I will safely guide you. I will not okay. lead you off of a cliff. All right. So Evan, I want you to think of a time in your life that you experienced, um, something really bad, something really negative, something really heavy, something really hard. Do you have it? Quite easy, yes. Quite easy. Yep. Give me a one one line headline of what it is. I don't need the full story, just the headline. Getting arrested and kicked out of school. Okay. I want you to pick one moment in time in that where you felt your lowest. Mm -hmm. You there? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you notice? in your body? How does your body feel? Tell me what, what, what is happening in your stomach right now? I feel like I'm going more by memory. It's not, I wouldn't say it's happening in the moment, but there was always, there's a lot of pain. There's digestion. There's that slowing, that fatigue that you were kind of talking about before that I remember very well. Um, 
so yeah, everything just feels slowed down and lethargic and unmotivated and yeah, defeated would be another word. Defeated. Yeah, that's a great word. Mm-hmm. And so right now, as you're thinking of this moment and you're pulling up this moment in your head, you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it. If you could, if, if I were not here with you, if no one else was here, what posture would you go into right now as you're thinking about it? Oh, that's just the, that's the classic in the chair like this. That would yeah. definitely, I mean, I, that's a hundred percent true. Like it'd be like this kind of thing, video game, whatever it might've been. So yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. And, and with that, what do you notice about your feet? Do you even notice your feet right now? I, I wouldn't know. I mean, they're kind of like hanging up. They're not grounded, but, you know, but I wouldn't have noticed it unless you said it. Exactly. You weren't, you wouldn't have noticed it unless I pointed it out to you. Yeah. So that's very common is that we actually completely lose a sense of our legs and our feet. Everything becomes just trunk and, and, and head. All right. So right now, given that this is why we don't go in and talk about the story because it actually puts our body back into the story. And that's not helpful. Like we're trying to resolve the story. It's not helpful to go all the way back into the story in a way where our body goes there with us. Right. So let's do a quick exercise. Sure. Um, which exercise would I want? Let's do, let's do this. I want you to put your hands up against your, your shoulders as much as possible. Like this and we're going to, we're going to push forward as slow as possible, but while we make a sound with our breath. And so the sound is just going to be voo. All right. So take a deep breath in with me and then we'll we'll breathe out voo. Deep breath in. Voo. I did not I did not prepare for that. Okay, let's do it again. Okay, yeah, round two. That's one of the best episodes so far. This is good. People are loving this one. All right, I'm ready. I got deep breath in. We're gonna go slow. Okay, slow. Seven. Slow. I know this is not your normal. Slow, slow it down. Slow yeah, I'm on 6X. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> minus 6X. Here we go. All right. I think that should be on one of your guys' assessments now. How long can you do the VU? So definitely an assessment of, of health. All right. So with that, what do you notice has changed in your body since a moment ago when we were in the story to right now that we're back just together? Well, there's admittedly a playful side, right? Um, yeah. So I'm thinking about my fiance in the other room and she's like, what the hell, pod what the hell podcast are you doing right now? Um, so that's funny. But outside of the playful side, no, um, not, not, there's no outside of it. Just the playful. Like, how do you okay. experience the playful? How does the playful feel for you? I'll tell you how it feels for me. It feels light. Like yeah. I feel like yeah. my chest is open. I feel this lightness. I feel this aliveness. That's yeah, how I no, Light's it. a great word. Um, yeah, it's definitely not heavy, right? You do, because that you definitely felt heavy before when you're reliving a, a terrible memory. And then comparatively speaking, it's super light. Um, no, okay, so then then not outside of it, but the playful's fun because I, I like the fact that we just did that because that's something 
that I wouldn't even have done years ago live on a show. And it's like, here we go. We're doing the VU. Uh, but outside of that, there okay, not outside of that. Within that, there is also, and maybe this is the science of it, and I'm not sure why, so this is truly real. When I was doing the VU, that there's something inherently calming about that that I don't fully understand yet. So you I would say- You don't need to understand it, right? Yeah. Just enjoy it. Okay, well then it is calming. Yes, and what I would love for you to say right now is I give myself this gift of calm relaxation. I give myself this gift of calm relaxation. Whether I deserve it or not. Whether I deserve it or not. Yeah, I give myself this gift of calm relaxation whether I deserve it or not. One more time. Yeah. Oh, I give myself this gift of calm relaxation whether I deserve it or not. And what do you notice in your body? Um, light and happy. Light and happy. Yeah. Are you sure you want to go back and talk about that story again now? I think we could skip it. We, we can skip it. <laughs> so that's what I do with my people. They come in and I guarantee you, this is what clients are doing for your FDNs. They're coming in and they want to dump their story. They want to start with their story and it takes them to that heavy place, Evan. And I don't let them do that anymore because I, I know where it takes them. And I can't work with them if they're in that heavy place. I can work with them in, when they're in this playful place. I can, right? Like there's a lightness, there's an aliveness. And so I stop them with the story and I say, let me, do you mind if we just do an exercise together? I know it's going to seem weird and you may laugh at me and I'm okay with that, but I just love to just shift some things here. Would you be willing to do that with me? And then we do just what I did. I thought, what did, how long did it take us? Two minutes, three minutes? Yeah, nothing. And look at how the energy has shifted. And right. now we can look at your lab work together. Now we can have a very different conversation than if we start with story. Don't go into story. Please don't go into story. It's actually not helpful. And it re-traumatizes us. Wow. Dr. Amy, what's so interesting is uh, you almost certainly wouldn't know this about me, the work I did for the last five years out, outside of FDN, and I've actually, I thankfully shifted more just into this, I did mental health speaking for kids. And so I have told the story of like all these things that I was just mentioning there over 550 times live in front of, you know, children and stuff like that. And I remember in the beginning, there was a, well, the beginning is like one year, one school year to another. The teacher actually said, you're doing a lot better job. And I said, oh, well, thank you. Like, what, what changed do you think? She said, last time you were very much in the, the science and the facts. And this time it felt like you were being more emotional. Now she was correct. My trainer helped me with that. But what I noticed is, because you were doing a ton of presentations, like sometimes we're doing four or five uh, back to back to back to back to back. What I noticed is the energy that I had the first year um, started as something I had to balance a lot more. It was much heavier going into that and truly feeling it. And in a sense, uh, there's a time and place because it did make for an effective presentation and I know it helped other people. So that it's not inherently bad, but I needed to be very conscious very quickly of what that was doing. And I had to create all these habits in my life that if I go do, because I, yes, you're right. I'm always on six acts going, going, going. If I did four or five presentations in a day, even if I'm done by you know 1130 AM, which is actually very likely, you might've started at 730. That's the day, dude. You go home, you chill out, you, you do what you want to do. Uh, sometimes it's just stupid stuff on the computer, but I had to ha be strict with that because it did not work otherwise. And I, and I saw that. And so this makes a lot of sense that, you know, just constantly reliving it um, can be an issue. And 
if you don't, if you don't mind, you have a few extra minutes because we're a little shorter on time, but I want to ask a powerful question for people because there's so much interaction in the audience. Where is the time and place then? Because you did say we have to do this stuff before processing it, but I would also say there's been a tremendous, maybe it was longer than it should have been. There is and has been a tremendous amount of healing over sharing this so many times. And I know that for a fact. So where does the middle ground come in? Where is processing and sharing actually useful in this process? When you can have an anchor in the present moment and not lose your sense of safety. Hmm. That's it. Like that's, that's the, the camera, the, the secret right there. And I'm just going to switch, switch cameras here. Cause it out so. on me, but the, this, the secret is that we, we have to be regulated. And so I talk about this foundation of regulation. The foundation of regulation has to be in place before we can safely process. And if people try to process before they have that foundation, it, they're not going to be doing it in a safe way. And that's where people fall apart, right? And they have like these big emotional breakthroughs followed by a big emotional breakdown because they didn't, they didn't do it safely. They weren't ready for that level of opening up. They hadn't created their foundation first. And so just as a, like as a physician working with patients and now leading people through this process, that is where I start everyone is I need to teach you this foundation of regulation and how to have that in place so that you can use that as an anchor. And now what we're going to do is instead of going into the story, we're just going to go on to the story. There's a difference so that I don't lose my sense of safety in telling the story. And I choose when to tell the story because it's not always helpful to tell the story, right? But, but if I'm going into the story and my body is going into the story with me, I am actually putting my body into the trauma response all over again. I'm trying to change that. Mm -hmm. And the more times I do that, Evan, the more I'm reinforcing the trauma response and the trauma physiology in my body. I don't want to reinforce that. I don't want to make those pathways even stronger. I'm trying to make them go away. And so the only way to do that in a way that's helpful is to completely go at it on a different, in a different way where my body is not following me into the heaviness when I go into a story. And wow. until then I do simple exercises like this, the VU. The push away. That, those are the two that I just combined for you, by the way. We Thank did a VU and a push away at the same time. And um, there are many more. And that's why I, I teach this, right? Because I want people to know this and I want people to be able to do these with their clients because it's so powerful to immediately in the moment shift out of that heaviness in the body that is the stored trauma in their body. This, it, you've connected so many dots for me. You've helped me connect so many dots because I was always trying to figure out, and I, I kind of knew, but it's a different perspective of, I would speak sometimes to fifth grade, but sometimes to 12th grade. Now, the issue with a fifth grader is they're more volatile. <laughs> you don't know what they're going to do. Johnny's throwing a booger at Sally and, you know, you're trying to tell an important story and someone's getting punched or kicked. However, I, I would say to my fiance, I don't get this because I was actually more nervous about that presentation because of the volatility of the kids. But I always felt like I could do the rest of my day afterwards. And the difference was I couldn't tell, like looking at this now, I'm like, duh, 
I couldn't tell the heavy parts of my story to a fifth grader. It wasn't appropriate. You weren't even allowed to do it. So instead, I'm asking kids like, hey, does anyone know what a panic attack is? You know, and they're giving crazy answers. And it's very fun and engaging in a sense. Um, So there's a time and place for that. But really interesting that I was 10 times more nervous for those. And it still took what I felt like less energy and less, I had less weight on my body than something that I really wasn't nervous for, admittedly. But yeah, you're reliving it to tell a good speech. I noticed the results were better when I relived it, but man, you're, uh, you're taking a lot of yourself to do that each time. So it takes uh, a lot. Yeah. yeah that reminds me. And I, and I know we're running out of time, you're so good, I'll make this quick, but I recently met a uh, multi-million dollar business owner from Atlanta, Georgia. She was visiting out of town. We had a business event. Our mutual friend introduced us, told her what I did. She immediately looks at me and says, oh, I could use you. I was like, oh, you know, isn't that interesting, right? Like this is not really the social situation to like go into your trauma story. Um, and so, you know, just brushed it aside at the moment. But then later on, she came up and she wanted to talk to me. And she said these words, Evan, I hide my trauma well. It is well protected. And I think that goes for a lot of people. And so I asked her a question. I said, if you didn't need to keep it hidden and well protected, what would you be able to do? And she looked at me without even hesitating. She said, I would be unstoppable because it takes so much energy for us to keep this stuff stored, right? Like we, you felt it, this, the heaviness, and it takes a lot of energy to move through that heaviness to get what we need done in a day. And so here's a multi-million dollar business owner. I already would consider her unstoppable. And yet she is saying that if she did not have to hide and protect her trauma that well in her body, she would be unstoppable. And I feel like the people that are coming to see you guys as FDNs, they all have stored trauma. Like their body is all speaking trauma. And for you to be able to see that and to speak that for them and to give them that hope that if you didn't need to hide and protect this trauma, what do you think you'd be able to do? Just give them that hope. Give them that thought that they can come back to later and be like, huh, isn't that interesting that he said that or that she said that? Maybe I should. Maybe it is time. Maybe I really do need to do this trauma work. You're 100% right. And I, again, without being an expert in it by any means, I had noticed it myself. It's not if they have it, it's at what point do we acknowledge it? <laughs> um, you know, some people, again, will come in and just the first day, they, they know that this affected them. Others, you're five months in and it's like, by the way, this happened. What? What? And you never thought that that was a part of this health history? Um, it's it's not really if, it's, it's kind of when, which is fascinating because so many of us have FDNs or as FDNs are just focused on this biochemical stuff. It's very real. You can see it on the labs. It's not fake, but it's not the full picture. And there's other things that go on here. So uh, this was an absolutely excellent episode. First of all, where can people find you? Uh, what do you offer? Is it just working with people one-on-one? Are there trainings? What what can people do with you? Yeah, I train health coaches and nutritionists and other professionals to be able to do this kind of basic somatic safety work with clients. And so I take them through a foundational module for my professional training. And they can find that if they search Google Dr. Amy Biology of Trauma or just go to biologyoftrauma.com. They can find me there. They can find the professional training that I offer. And that's what I would I would recommend for anyone working with people. 
anyone working with a nervous system, you're working with trauma. And just to be able to have skills is a game changer. You're not afraid of it anymore. You're not kind of tiptoeing around it. Like you know what to do. And when they start to go into their story and that heaviness, you know how to shift the energy and it changes everything for you as a practitioner. So that's, that's what I do. I, I could picture that work. Well, like, no, no, stop, stop, stop right there. We're doing the VU. We're doing the VU. And then we can talk about the other stuff. Totally, totally. With all that said, um, we always have specific topics on the show. Today was more of a trauma-focused thing. But then uh, we always finish with this signature, uh, more general question. And I'll be fascinated to see what someone with your mind answers with this. Because sometimes the people with the best minds and the most knowledge, it's the most simple answers. So something for the audience to note. If we could give you a magic wand and you could wave it and get every single person in this world to do one thing for their general health. So that means you can force us all to start doing one thing, or you can get us all to stop doing one thing. What is the one thing that Dr. Amy gets us to do? The VU and push away every day, three times a day. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you guys would like to see Dr. Amy back on again, uh, let us know. Please go check out her stuff. I can just tell. I'm sorry that we didn't get to all the comments. They were mostly comments, not really questions. So uh, so much engagement today. Actually, the most engagement we've had on for one of these lives. Um, I'm just looking forward to everyone being able to catch the audio version. If you tuned in halfway and you want to see or uh, want to consume the audio version, uh, that'll be out on the podcast in just about a week and a half of this being recorded. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Evan.